It's time for Mac Geek Gab, and listener Brad brings us our quick tip of the week by saying, I recently had an application that stopped generating its sound and banner notifications. I resolved this by visiting the notification system settings pane and right-clicking the targeted application and selecting reset notifications dot dot dot. A further note of interest is that the notifications actually configure and are found in a P list, which we'll put in the show notes at MacGeekGab.com. I had no idea that this reset notifications per application even existed, let alone how to find it. Right click in system settings on the app in the notifications list. More quick tips like this, plus your questions answered today on Mac Geek Gab 1015 for Monday, December 25th. Merry Christmas, 2023. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to Mac Geek Ab. Indeed, we are the show where you send in your quick tips like that, your questions that we sometimes answer, hopefully answer, your cool stuff correctly. found correctly. Well, that's, you know, you let us know. That's the beauty. You send all this stuff into feedback at MacGeekGub.com. We assemble it. We string it together loosely into an agenda such that we each have a great chance of learning at least five new things every single time we get together and here on this cold Christmas morning here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Oh, and here in South Dakota, not quite uh, snowing yet, I'm Adam Christensen. And here, also in southern New Hampshire, where it's, I don't know if it's colder or warmer than South Dakota. Yeah. It's Pilot Pete, good to be back. I don't know the weather, I just fly him. <laughs> <laughs> you fly over the weather, Pete. That's right. That's yeah. my goal. That's, the, that's how it works. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that reset notifications thing. Did you, did either of you know about that? No clue. No, clue. I saw that. That's brilliant. This is what I love about doing this show. One of the things, there's many things in fact right. that I love about doing the show, but that's like, like routinely we've been doing this 18 and a half years. I know that feature hasn't been there for 18 and a half years, but like it's been there for a while. What's that? Do you know it's not been there 18 and a half years? Well, I know that the system that Mac OS has Probably. not had well, a notification true. center. <laughs> so, so yes, I, I that enough. I do know. Yes. <laughs> and system settings wasn't there. Correct. 18 years ago. But I so. bet, I bet that's been there a couple of OS versions. At like least. It, right. Yeah. Like, of course. Yeah. Per awesome. app. That's brilliant. Yep. Yep. It's per app and you get little choices when you go in there and, um, Actually, let me open it up because there was there was something. Uh, 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 if I go into notifications and I right click on reset notifications, it is hopefully not going to break my computer. Uh, I see my CPU pegging. Oh, there it goes. It asked me, are you sure you want to reset? It? The app will have to request permission to send notifications. You won't receive notifications from this app until then, which is great. It's an interesting thing to go look in your notifications list and system preferences, system settings. I found one at the very top of the list that had an icon that also looked like system settings and was like one of those websites that tries to scam you into, you know, installing their antivirus software or whatever. So 
it, right. it, you know, fascinating to go look in there and, yeah. and see what you've got. So, More conware. Conware. There you go. Is that uh, the, you? You don't fly for Conware, do you? No. I was going to say, is that is that Nicholas Cage movie? Con Air. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. No, these yeah. are the people that try to get you to, like you see, put yeah. put their crappy software on your computer and ruin your day. And ruin your day. Yeah, exactly. But like, they make you think that, like, by using the system settings icon and it appears in your notification center, like it looks legit. So, yep. Yepper. All right. Uh, Pete, you got a quick tip for us? I do. I've got a two for today, Dave. Oh. Let me get two quick tips in one. First of all, you can put or create a list or a smart list in context, which is really nice. I like, I prefer a smart list because, for example, holiday cards. So I create a new smart list called holiday cards, oddly enough. And then all you have to do is somewhere in that list, I put the word holiday in notes. So anybody's contact that I've put the word holiday in notes, they show up on that list. All right. Well, wait, that's brilliant. I, yeah. I mean, I've done smart things in like mail and finder and never even dawned on me that that could exist in contacts. Yeah. So that, that's what I do. And you could do it other ways, you know, it could be, you know, like I have one for medical and the smart list is, uh, anyone whose title is doctor. What? So so aside from you, Dave, (laughs) my other doctor, (laughs) Dr. Dave. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What a callback. That's brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so you, you can create all these really, you can get really, uh, uh, granular you can drill down and set up separate people in your contacts in really great ways using smart list or a regular list i mean you can you can manually add them in list i prefer smart list sure sure but uh then like for my other show i created a list of people who donate directly to the site because i didn't have a way to contact them easily so i've created that and then what you do is you right click on here's tip number two Right click on that smart list and select send email to the name of that smart list. And it will create an email and put all the people in that smart list in the address bar. You can also print envelopes from contacts nowadays. So you could print envelopes from a smart list that you put holiday in the notes. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. Save a bunch of time. So, yeah. uh, I would, I would caution that when you do send an email to a smart list, it's going to put all those email addresses in the two window instead of the BCC window. So if you don't want to share everybody's address, then put a, you know, drag them down to the PC, BCC Bravo chart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So huh. that w- there's your two for, for Christmas morning. Happy Christmas, everybody. I like that. That's Ooh. good. Yeah. 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 Yeah, do you have any any ways you use smart lists or uh, like is this a new feature for you too, Adam? No, I mean I think we talked about uh a couple episodes ago how I will sometimes use it to archive photos in photo library. Mm. So I'll go in and make a smart album. Yeah. Right. And right. say right. give me everything from the past year and then make an archive of that and then that's my I now save to delete last year's photos if i want like the blurry ones and not so great ones from my existing photo library so i'm not taking up space with photos that are not really great but i still want to save 
Cool. Todd has a quick tip about email for us. He uh, he says, you know, sometimes you copy text out of a one email message and paste it into another. And sometimes if that text is part of a reply chain, you get all of the uh, quote bars, the, the the vertical lines that that show you all of that. You all can 17 re- of them. Yeah, you can <laughs> remove those one at a time by highlighting the text and or you could highlight the whole email and it will start. It will just remove them from everything in the email. And then uh, I think it's it's in one of the menus. But but Todd says you use the uh, option command and the apostrophe key and that will start removing quote lines. If you remove the option key from that and just do command apostrophe, it will add quote lines so you can control these back and forth if you like. Yeah, Yeah, it's a good tip. It's it's one of those things that I use routinely and. It never thought to share here on the show, but it's, it's super helpful that, yes, you can you yeah. can take those out and you can get them all the way down to nothing. So, yep. Yep. And you can also go to the message menu and choose make plain text uh, if you wind up pasting in something that has like weird formatting from a previous email and it will remove all the formatting from that message and truly just make it plain text for you to ship off to whomever you want to. So. That's how I've always gotten rid of those is just make it plain text and then, and then put it back in and reformat yeah. it as needed. But yep. that's so much simpler. Very so cool. Simpler. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. another one for me. Yep. I love it. No, it's great. Um, we talked last episode about um, creating apps from web pages a little bit. And I mentioned the, Yep. The apps from uh, BZG Apps Coherence and uh, Unite. And I also mentioned that I had never used the the new thing in Sonoma where you can add to Doc and essentially just create a Safari, uh, you know, a, an application based on a Safari uh, window. And so I went and messed around with that after we finished the show. And it's great. We have a Google Doc that... We keep all of our like running agenda in. If you're watching the live stream, it's at macgeekup.com slash show notes. You can see us editing it. And it's just a Google Doc. Uh, I save that into a, I, I went to the file menu in Safari and I chose add to doc. And now I have it there in my doc. And you can even go into the preferences and give it a little icon. It saves these things into your um, home applications folder is where those live. So you can go and delete them and and manage them and all of those things. They're not like buried in the system somewhere that never for you to see. And it works great. And it works the way I would want it to work. When I click a link inside this app, it opens it in Safari. It doesn't like open another tab in the app, which I like you might want that. It doesn't do that. It opens it in Safari, Uh, but handy and very like very reliable and all that good stuff. And What's funny is later that day, I was lamenting how there was no Mac OS app for Threads, the new uh, social media network or whatever from uh, from Meta. And so I was like, yeah, whatever, you know, it's fine. And then in our chat, uh, unprompted by me, listener Andrew says, uh, as I've left Twitter and moved to Threads, I was lamenting the fact that there was no Mac OS app for Threads. So... I created one with add to doc and I'm thinking, how come this didn't dawn on me when I had exactly the same thought moments after using the add to doc feature 
for different purposes. And what's great about this add to doc thing for something like threads is once you've created this web app there, uh, you can scroll, you can resize the window and take advantage of threads formatting as though it were say on an iPhone. And when you, you know, you make the window sort of narrow enough, it gets rid of all the extraneous stuff and formats like you're viewing it on an iPhone and makes it really feel like an app. So, uh, think about that with, I mean, use it with threads, but also everything else that you might, um, that you might run all the time. So good. Right. Have you guys done yeah. anything with these yet? I haven't, but okay. nope. That's something to play with. It is something yeah. to play with. Yeah. 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 Uh, where are we here? Oh, you know, Cable. yeah. It, back in episode ten eleven, we, again, we're talking about the maneuver, that we all do and might wind up doing after the, the holidays here as we get, you know, new toys and gizmos and, and all of that that need to be plugged in uh, underneath our desks. The maneuver that we do when we have something under the desk, a cable under the desk, and we need to kind of loop it up and over the the top of the desk and without it falling. And Ed shared a name for this. He says, I think maybe it is called cable nastics. Because sometimes it seems like gymnastics to get it done. I like this. This might have to go on a T-shirt. I, I, that, that's that's yeah. cable cable nastics. Ed is good. Right? We did get a bunch of comments about this, though. Do you have a? T- you weren't here for episode ten eleven, Adam. So, I, like, yeah. you know, you know this maneuver of which we speak. Yes. No. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Mostly, it involves me lying under something and trying to fish a cable up, and then somehow precariously hook it on the edge of the desk and hope it doesn't fall. And then uh, it always does. It, it always does. Yeah. It, it involves, you know, some form of, of uh, religious deity based um, uh, uh, please to, to yeah. keep that cable hanging ever. All so the spiders down there are no help. They are no worthless. help. That's right. Yes. <laughs> right. The spiders, the land of spiders and dust bunnies. Yeah. Um, but uh, soccer dad, says uh has it has a tip for us and says uh, attaching your cable to a straightened metal coat hanger has frequently worked for me i even use this method for running cables in conduits and that's yep. kind of brilliant oh yeah oh yeah 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 <laughs> so that, that yeah. made me just that made me just think of something that seems obvious, but I don't know why I didn't think of it till just now. Yes. Don't they make like special tools for fishing cables through like walls? Of it's course. Called a, it's called a fish tape. Fish tape. Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't we get one of those? I know. I, yeah, I know, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> because we're... Wouldn't that work? I mean, you don't have to be going through a wall. You could go... No, you don't have to be going wall. through a wall. That is correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, or we could follow listener Bruce's suggestion where he says, uh, I suggest using a common bean bag. You can fit the bean bag into the palm of your hand. Use your thumb to hold the cable in place on the bean bag, then reach up and place the bean bag on top of the cable on the desk so that the bean bags now holding the cable. You can safely let go, come around to the top and retrieve your thing i this is smart i I can't always like depending on how much room you have a lot of times you're you know kind of trying to do the hook thing but but if you've got the room 
the beanbag thing makes perfect sense. So thank you for that, Bruce. Um, yeah, that's good. That's good. My, my favorite, I think comes from Teresa who really embraces the fact that the, the first time that you do this is definitely not going to be the last time that you do this in that location. Anyone who has set up computers on a desktop has had this annoying experience. If the desk is against a wall and you're alone, it becomes a trial of wills. Will the wire win? Dave mentioned he was having fun in games, getting wires to his desktop, and I remembered having to stop and leave this tip, which may help others. Depending on the wires in question, check out the various sizes of 3M command strip wall hangers for pictures. It's very easy to stick them on the back of the desk near the top, making sure they are sideways. So normally you would hang a command strip vertically. This is sticking it on horizontally. And if you've never used command strips before, Oh my gosh, these things are amazing. They save you from having to tack into your walls often. It's awesome. Uh, so uh, you should be able to wedge the wire into the hanger because they are plastic and will give a little. It will stay there while you get to the d- top of the desk, reach over and grab it to plug it in where you need it. And they're also clear and are little visual clutter. And of course, they're on the back, the back of your desk. So yeah, they, nice. uh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're just little, they're, they're sticky pieces, they're pieces of plastic with, with sticky backs that have little hooks on them. And the idea here is you have the hook sideways and you just use the, 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 the hook is, you know, sort of a, a V shape and you sort of wedge the thing into the hook and you're good to go. And you can even leave it like that if you really want so that if you unplug the cable, like if it's something for your phone, where you're not always plugged in, the cable doesn't fall. It's just waiting there for you the next time you need it. Yeah. So, yeah. And then Allison wrote with a, a, a hint too. Yeah. Yeah. Honey, can you help me with this, please? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. There so, is that. If you're not alone, <laughs> you mean, know. If you're not alone. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time you are though. That's the problem. Sure. Why is that? Like, why, why is it that it's well, rare that there's oh, anyone or, there? I, I know why, because you don't want to pay the divorce attorney when you try to set up a computer with your wife or your husband. Exactly. <laughs> oh, the, 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 the other the other one is I tend to get uh, foul mouthed and frustrated and my family doesn't like to be around me when that's going on. Right. But if you could solve the, the problem of having to perform cable nastics, you might be Maybe less foul mouthed and frustrated. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. there's that. Yeah. Um, I want to comment on this. The. The command hook thing. I just did this recently for um, when we set up our Christmas tree because we had to put it or we wanted to put it in an area where it's nowhere near an outlet. So I had to run like a an electrical cord along the wall, and I used these command strip uh, hooks. Yep, cord clips to route that cable. So what's great about that tip is not only can you use those for getting the cable up there, but they're great for just routing cables around your where we need to route them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Pretty inexpensively too. Like you're not, you know, putting in Panduit or, or fishing wires through walls or yeah. 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 I mean, it's not quite as, you know, clean as the conduit stuff. If you get the long pieces of that. Yeah, of course, of course it it works. And, uh, what's great about the command strip stuff, right. Is that has that little pull tab. So it's not going to like ruin your wall or your surface or whatever like that. When you need to go remove it, when you need to remove it. Yeah. They're great for 
paint with you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did not know about command strips until we moved my daughter into her dorm room at, at her freshman year of college. And she's like, oh, yeah, we just got to get a bunch of command strips. And I'm like, how's that? What's that? <laughs> and she's like, I'm like, oh, yeah, you just tack into the wall. And then when you move out, you take the, the screw out of the nail out of the wall and you put some toothpaste over it and you're good to go like everybody else does. And uh, which is another tip if, if you don't know of that one. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, only do it if you're not planning on moving back into that same place because it doesn't actually like, you know, that's yeah. not, it's not like spackle where <laughs> it just right. hides it visually. But uh, and she's like, no, command strips. I was like, what? And they, they really they work amazingly well. And like you said, Adam, they have this little pull tab that releases them with generally without stripping the paint off the wall. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have a decent paint job. If yeah. A bad paint job. Yeah. Might, it might, might strip the paint some. off of dorm room walls. Cause you know, it's like one thin, thin coat, uh, you know, right. Yeah. But so, and well, and I've got one other kind of tip, not techie tip, whatever you mentioned conduit, which brought me back to when we put our pool in many years ago, we had over 150 feet of conduit. Well, how are you going to get the line through that? I watched the electrician, and the way he did it is we laid the conduit, and he took twine, uh, he put the twine in on one end, and he ran the shop vac on the other, and it sucked the twine through, and then he tied it to the to the electrical cable, and then we were able to get it started that way. So that's how we got. I never. Yeah, you've blown my mind here. Like, yeah, I, I've I've known about like keeping string in conduit. Right. Like yeah. it, you always want to leave string and conduit so that, yeah. you, you know, you can pull a cable through or whatever. And, and it's well, how all, do you get it there? But how do you get the string there in the first place? Yeah. Vacuum. Use the shop vac. Like, of course. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. That would do it. That so would do it. tie it on the other end. Handy tips. Tie it on the other end first before you suck yes. with the shop back, because otherwise you need to bring the shop back to the other side. You're yeah. going to have a ball of string inside your shop back. Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. Yeah. Oh. Huh. So. Brilliant. Oh, I love this. Yeah, Very cool. Great. That's good. Yeah. I, I think we should get on to some Christmas questions, Dave. Okay. John asks, I'm upgrading my home Wi-Fi network. Uh, from a Wi-Fi 5 Deco setup to the Wi-Fi 6E Deco setup. And uh, he says, well, my password for my Wi-Fi 5 network was and is excellent. I've been hesitant about changing it periodically because I have about 4,500 IoT devices, uh, all our HomeKit <laughs> or Matter devices or whatever. Whoa. I may I may have uh, embellished there, folks. That I think he said 45, but it becomes like <laughs> 4,500 when you have to change the, every one of them. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the Wi-Fi credentials on every one. He says, but I know it's going to be a huge pain to migrate them all to my new network if I use a new password. I also have dozens of automations, et cetera, et cetera. I figured before I do anything rash, I'd ask your opinion on whether it makes sense to change the SSID and password with my new network or make the new one exactly the same. My current password is 20 random alphanumeric characters, but it's the same as I set up almost six years ago. I use one password to store all these things. What do you guys think? Adam, you want to, can I put you on the spot? <laughs> do you have advice for this? I just keep the same password. Oh yeah. Same. I mean, yeah. here's the thing. Like 
I'm assuming he's like me. And when he set it up, that password is only on that Wi-Fi network and has only ever been used on that Wi-Fi network. So unless that's been compromised in some way, which seems highly unlikely, um, there's an, I see very little risk. Yeah. Not changing. I mean, I, I know the best practice is change your password frequently. That is one area where I tend to not to because again i've moved to the practice of not using the same password everywhere i have different passwords they're very long i use 24 characters random with one password and like good luck yeah you know like yeah good luck yeah yeah yeah. it also depends on the threat environment you're in you know if you're on two acres yeah alone you know you're not nowhere near as much as in an apartment building uh where everybody's network is there that's fair yeah yeah Yeah, that's true too my, yeah, my advice matches yours, Adam. Is absolutely yeah. leave the leave the password the same. Dear heaven, like I can't even imagine what my life would be like if I had to change the password every time I like tested a new Wi-Fi system or something. I something always about foul mouth and frustrated. Talk about right, foul right? mouth and frustrated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. no, thank you. Um, I, years ago, it, the, and I'm curious what you guys use for your Wi-Fi passwords. I use, uh, the, the minimum for the original, like WPA, like the, the WEP rather, um, was it required a minimum of 10 characters. And so I standardized not just for myself, but for clients that I was working with at the time, because I knew they needed to have a password they would not forget because they were going to need it for their devices in the future. And when a friend arrived at their house, like all of those things. So for myself and all of my clients, uh, I standardized on something that we all know that is 10 digits long. And that is your phone number with area code in the, in the U S anyway, seven digit phone number, three digit area code. And so it, this was back in the days, of course, when everybody had like a house number, oh, that's landline, less yeah. common these days, <laughs> but but the, like the practice works. And so that that's our password is our, well, now old house number, but everybody knows it and it's fine and it works out great. And, uh, but that's always been it. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dave, you taught me that and it's still mine. Is it really? It's 15, yeah. 17 years later. Yeah. That yeah. It's still yeah, yeah. my old landline number. Yeah. Makes how, it so much easier. How about you, Adam? Do you have a, a terrible to guess and, and, and communicate? I guess terrible to communicate yes. would be the password. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you you would never guess my wife. Fascinating. <laughs> it's randomly generated 24 character long from. But I mean, now with with what Apple's built in, like if someone that's comes beautiful. over, it's like tap the thing. I also just I have a guest one that's not as difficult. Yeah. But with the guest one. I also, uh, well, I don't have it in this house. I had it in my old house. I printed it out as a QR code and stuck it on the wall, and it just said guest Wi-Fi, and you could walk over and scan the QR code, and yes. it, would, it yeah. would get you on the guest Wi-Fi network at my house. Yes. So that, no one ever had to type the password. Yep. No, d- here in the studio, I have um, a, a QR code. I put it on the beer fridge um, mm-hmm. because I figured that everyone will see that comes over to rehearse or podcast in the studio. <laughs> so, yeah. yep. And, and I do have, I do maintain a separate guest network for got my, it. my home network. Yeah. 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 I, I probably, only I family don't. gets the home network. 
Yeah, that's <laughs> smart. I probably should do that. I I haven't. I just give everybody my home network. It's fine. Yeah. Um, speaking of my home network, my general setup is that I have a Synology router. It's these days. It's the RT sixty six hundred AX, and then I often will leave the most of the time. I leave the Wi Fi on that disabled. And I use whatever my you know favorite Wi-Fi mesh du jour is for a long time. It's been Eero, and and that's kind of been my default just because it's so smart and and great at doing things. But it had been a while since I tested Synology's mesh, and I thought you know I need to give this another shot. The last time, the last couple of times I tested Synology's mesh, it it did not go well. It was it was it was immature is probably the right term to use. So I did. I moved over to Synology's Mesh. And my my way of doing this is I set up, you know, the secondary mesh with a different name. Same password, by the way, but different name. So, you know, it'd be my network name dash Synology or something. And then I use it only on my devices and for a day or two and make sure everything is seems OK. And then I rename it to match my main network name and then go into, in this case, the Eero setup and change that network's name to something else. So all of my devices just naturally flow to, you know, the network that I want to test as the primary. And I have to say the Synology meshing has truly matured. Not only is it super reliable and we've had absolutely zero problems with it, but the entire setup process of it is so much better than it used to be. I remember doing it in the past. I had to log in manually to each of the mesh points and update the firmware to match the firmware that was on my main router. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I've got some time. Like, I'll do this. And it did it for me. It found the mesh point and it was like, hang on, I got to update the software on this. And it's like, oh, look at you go. Like, of course, <laughs> you know. So really, I like... My opinion on Synology Mesh has has changed, and and it, this is thanks to a lot of you who have been using it and said, you know, you should give this another shake, and and so I did, and it's it's been fine. Um, it, truly, we haven't had any issues. It are the 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 back of our house, um, like the patio that we have, which is on the ground floor, off the back of our house, uh, is interesting because the way our house is, it's on a little bit of a slope. And the the front of our uh, our house appears to be two stories. The back of our house, because of the slope, appears to be three. Our finished basement sort of comes out on the back. But what that means is the back of my first story, my basement story, is uh, all concrete other than like doors and windows. And Wi-Fi does not go through concrete at all. I would assume that concrete is probably surrounded on three sides by piles of dirt as well. And, and, and piles of dirt. <laughs> but even on the one side where it's not surrounded by piles of dirt, the concrete and, you know, presumably the rebar in there that's holding yeah, the yeah, dirt yeah. gauge going on. Bouncing <laughs> things going around. Co- yeah, correct. It, signals all around. Like <laughs> even with a door there, like if I get perfect line of sight through a glass door, I'm okay. But otherwise it is no bueno. So, Finding the right place to position a mesh access point to get to the outdoors because I like to have Wi-Fi on my patio for like Sonos and things like that is always a trick. So we're, you know, refighting that particular trick. But other than that, no, no issue. And that that has nothing to do with Synology. That has everything to do with just physics, you know. So, yeah. 
Yeah. So my uh, trick on that, Dave, is I actually have the, uh, the the mesh router sitting on a windowsill up on the third floor on the back of the house. Yes. I was so going to tell you the same thing. So yeah. I'm using the Orbeez. Yep. Uh, I used to use Eero as well, but I switched to Orby when we came over here. With, and um, to get to my office, it's a little distance, but I have window to window sight of my daughter's room. So there's like one in the window over there and one window over here. And they just. Yeah, that's what I need to do. I they we have a perfect window to put it in, but it's in our for, perfect window for Wi-Fi location. But it's in our living room, right? Yeah, and it's like a bay window, and it's it's really kind of a visual, uh, you know, like it's a thing. Yeah, and you so, don't want to block the. Uh, yeah, it's like, oh, what's that? Oh, it's my. Wife. You probably need to get. Can you, I think they make outdoor ones now. They too, do. Right? Could you sit it just like mm. outside? But like I need to get signal to it somehow. Yeah. Like I would need to run Ethernet to the outside. Like that's yeah. the the problem is getting to, to you know to, my problem is getting Wi Fi to the outside. It's not a very long haul. It's just a tricky haul, is what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah. I'll, I gotta I gotta think more about this. There's maybe even just putting it up near a window upstairs in the house would be enough to do it. Yeah. So yeah. If I was really smart, the old owner here had run a bunch of Ethernet over the roof in the other house. Oh. Um, it's really poorly done, but there is an Ethernet cable that sits out, goes from inside to outside. Yeah. And I could probably just bury a cable over here to the outside. Uh, yeah. Dig, dig a trench, and, you know, a shallow trench. And lay it it doesn't need right to be very earth. deep. If you get, they make direct burial Ethernet cable. And I've, I've, we have it here. The previous owner did it here. And I, I did it with my father-in-law uh, at his house. He, he wound up, he had this house on an, an island and he wound up buying the neighbor's house and he, wa- he didn't want to pay for two internet connections. I'm like, yeah, obviously. And so we buried it maybe four inches, maybe. Uh, on the on the parts that you would walk over, right? The parts where he wanted yep. grass. And then there was woods in between the two houses. We literally just laid the cable on top of the leaves in the woods until we got, you know, to the edge of the woods near the, the, the second house and, and, you know, they buried it for as long as we needed to. And, and that was that. And it's fine. That direct burial cable will deal with, you know, ice and snow and all of those things and then, survive very very well uh so yeah no that direct burial cable is no joke i will say though put something on either end of that cable to insulate you from lightning yeah because otherwise any lightning strike close by that becomes you know your lightning rod if you will and blows up things on either end i use the apc protect net adapters um, and they just, they're inline ethernet surge protectors is what they are. Um, nice. there are ones from ubiquity and I can't remember the name of it. Somebody was talking about it in the, I think in the, in discord, but, um, yeah. but ubiquity makes them too. And you know, they're somewhere between 10 and $25 a piece and, and put, you know, get two of them, one on either end, please, <laughs> you know, but yep. 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 Cool. Cool. I think I mean, I, honestly, my mesh Wi-Fi with gigabit Ethernet works. It, yeah, really, you're able or to get gigabit, um, gigabit, you know, internet connectivity. I have we have gigabit here. So is that what we're on right? Is that what you're on right now? Doing our our live streams and all that? Okay, yeah. 
Wow. If you had told me that's what you were doing, I would have freaked out. But <laughs> so, you know, yep. Uh, I do Zoom calls all day and it works. It works great. I mean, I, honestly, what I'm getting out here is probably more like 300, 400 at that point. I'm not getting the full 900, but. Yeah. Well, you don't need that much. Like, it, you know, right now, I mean, I'm streaming video out for this show and I can see that I'm, my upstream is about 240 K. So it's more about the latency, <clears throat> excuse me, the latency of it, which clearly is not an issue. So yeah. 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 And, and I didn't realize that Synology had uh, mesh routers. No. Uh, they have for quite some time. I did, yeah. Yeah. yeah you right, can right by me. <laughs> yeah. You can mesh with, Everything except the uh, the nineteen hundred AC. So okay. the sixty six hundred can be a router and or a mesh access point. The twenty six hundred can be a router or mesh access point. And then there's the the MR twenty two hundred AC, which really truly was built to be an access point. But yeah. I think you can also kind of use it as a standalone router if you really w wanted to. Wow. Okay. And then there's the WRX five sixty, which is the newest one, and that also. Uh, is a router or a mesh access point. So yeah, no, it, it's, it's very smooth and slick. I'm, I've been, I've been impressed with it. Yeah. So in fact, it was getting your VPN set up last week, Pete, right. it sort of dug me back into SRM, the Synology router manager. I was like, you know, it's, I'm like, I'm in here now. I'm not like, I didn't add it to yours. I added it to mine, but it was right. like, ah, you know, I'm like my head's in this. I might as well just kind of keep tugging on this thread really wasn't it wasn't that difficult they made it easy so. i don't know where are we here um kirit i think kirit thank you yeah kirit has a, a nice little networking tip so i'm writing about the second internet service in my house which may not apply to 95 percent of the audience I, i'm not convinced of this with most of us relying on our home internet connection for some portion of our jobs I think what Kirit shares with us is relevant to more than more than just 5% of us. He says, uh, I have high-speed Xfinity service in the house, which is spread in our rather large home with a router and multiple access points. Generally, we get eight to 900 gigs down and it's very reliable. The problem is we are a very much internet-dependent household. Our two daughters frequently visit and work from home, and I also do a lot of remote work as well. Two to three times a year because of weather or some construction, the internet goes down for several hours and uh, sometimes a day or two. It's not frequent, but when it happens, it feels catastrophic. So I wanted a backup plan, but it was very hesitant uh, and to do something that was expensive and high maintenance whenever I looked. I got a T-Mobile home internet box for 50 bucks a month. I installed it myself at a great location. There's an app on the phone that helps you figure out where your best reception is. Then I hooked up five Eero pros on sale at Amazon on black Friday. So the cost was 500 bucks for the Eero pros and 50 a month for the T-Mobile box. And it is amazing. I get anywhere, uh, every, everywhere in the house, I get 600 meg download speeds and both internets are independent from others. So I can jump from Wi one Wi-Fi network to the other. Mine is an expensive solution. He says, but if someone like me doesn't want any blackout times, it's, perfect so um you, you you this works there are a couple of ways to make this less expensive one of them cure it is definitely not going to want to hear because xfinity in most locations offers their own version of this which is much less expensive and it automatically kicks in 
when your you know cable internet uh, comes out you may not have this available to you cure it so perhaps uh this wasn't an option but yes it it's it's doable the other thing is some routers and the synology routers are uh, amongst them will allow you to set up not one but two internet like wan connections and have them either do uh, load balancing or failover and you pick the primary and the secondary and when one fails it just automatically cuts over you don't have to switch wi-fi networks etc cetera, etc cetera. obviously your solution is robust because you can pick which one you want to be on that you don't quite get that with the others but yeah have have either of you messed with like the t-mobile home internet no uh, i was gonna say i actually appreciate it when my internet goes out because it means i get free time off <laughs> <laughs> you can well, kill. You you could have <laughs> Sorry, my this. internet's down, people. Yeah, well, I can't you could, work today for the next five hours. All right. Yep. You could have this. Though. You could have a backup connection that is is private and yours, right, and yeah, no yeah, one yeah. knows about. So you, when when your primary internet goes down, you can still Netflix yourself. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can still Netflix on my, you know, on my cell phone connection. Usually, like oh, usually, if fair. my internet's down, my you know. Yeah. Horizon isn't down or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, I'll, I, in a pinch, Wi Fi hotspotted or whatever. And that's enough for me. But I mean, he's talking about a whole family, you yes. know, with multiple people needing, you know, it's not a one off thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I know it's, it's, it's a good thing. I mean, I, and I think we've already talked about this in the past. The other thing that you would want to support that, and I'm assuming he's got it, is battery backups for your routers. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I recommend a a battery backup that is dedicated just for your yeah. router and your yeah, Wi-Fi access about. point. Well, initially I put one on like my whole network rack of things. But oh, when yeah. when you're also running, you know, a a Synology disk station or 3 that have, you know, spinning hard drives in them, that battery power doesn't last very long. You might get 15 20 minutes out of it. Whereas if you're only running your router, these are very low power devices. Uh, yep. You get, you know, hours or sometimes days, depending on how much battery power you have. And and that can be a game changer. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Get get two UPSs and dedicate one for the low power stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. I like it. Yeah. You can with the Synology routers, you can connect you can tether your phone to them via USB and have your phone's Wi-Fi or your phone's hotspot. It's not Wi-Fi from your phone, but shared via your, you know, Synology router too. Obviously, you know, you may wind up using lots more data on your phone than you normally would. So, you know, be prepared for that, but that it does work in a pinch. Yeah. Huh. All right. Shall I? Yeah, you want to take us to David? Yeah, yeah. Today, I bring my iPhone. He says, today I bring my iPhone 15. Oh, I, let me start higher. Sorry. Because I am a one carry on I set you up for failure. Duffel traveler. <laughs> yeah. So this is it. He's traveling. He's got one duffel bag. He says, today I bring my iPhone 15, USB-C, AirPods Pro, and my tiny Anchor Nano charger. The phone charges overnight, the AirPods while I shower and eat breakfast. I will need to travel with my M1 MacBook Pro from time to time, but don't want to lug that huge charger. I'm thinking about it. I don't need to fast charge. Overnight is fine. 
my AI engine informs me that the M1 Pro can run indefinitely at 30 watts. So I'm thinking about getting the Anchor 47 watt two USB port charger, um, which is folds and it's a gallium. Yeah, gallium nitride, nitride. I think so. Yeah, yeah, fast charger that, and so it's super small. And he says, I assume that running that overnight, the charger will adapt to push the full 47 watts to the laptop when the phone tops itself off. Do you think this is sufficient or should I bump up to a larger 65 watt charger for more headroom? I I think the 47 watt is going to be fine. I, I, I basically do this. Now I do it with an M1 Air. Uh, sorry, now an M2 Air. So it less it consumes less power than a MacBook Pro, but I did have that that M1 MacBook Pro for a short stint, and it charges fine. Like you said, it will even charge on a 30 watt charger. It, like it's not yeah. like the Intel days where you. I I think the Intel like the 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 16 inch Intel MacBook Pro. I don't think 30 watts was enough to even hold a charge. Like it would. It would delay the inevitable, but I think that was it. No, that's an, I mean, I have, that's the machine I have. It's a 96 watt machine. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, exactly. And I, and I know this because I have a dock that supplies that, but if, and I have it, have it plugged in now because if my battery is totally dead and I connect it even to that, that anchor dock, should supply 95 watts. I've got a bunch of other stuff plugged into it. It doesn't provide enough power. I have yeah. to plug in yeah. at least to get the battery up enough where the machine will come on and then it can kind of hold the charge and it'll charge it slowly. But yep. yeah, nope. Yep. But the new machines, they don't require a ton of power. No, they're super efficient. I, you know, I was thinking about you the other day. I don't, Oh, I was packing to just go overnight to Boston and I don't even think I brought a charger for my laptop with me. I'm sure I had something right. that could have done it, but it, like I was going away overnight and my laptop was charged. Like there was no world where I was going to need all that juice that was in it. Remember the old days when you couldn't do that? Correct. And I was thinking about those old <laughs> days and I was thinking about you, Adam, because I know you aren't yet on an Intel laptop. And I thought, you you know, that I've learned to take for granted. All right, you weren't yet on an Apple Silicon laptop. Um, I've learned right. to take for granted the, you know, 15 to 20 hours of actual battery life uh, on a laptop. And right. I think if you were in a scenario where you were traveling more, that would probably be the thing that tips the scales for, you know, for someone like, Oh, you. I'm close. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> of course close. you're close. I, mean, I yeah. understand. This machine yeah. I'm trying to remember is it 2018 or 2019. Yeah. I can't remember which it is. I think it's 20, it's 2019. Okay. So it was the last, yeah. the last of the Intel, I think. Yeah. So yeah. Santa didn't bring you a new laptop this morning, is what you're saying. I mean, Santa could bring me a new laptop. <laughs> I've just chosen that, you know, this has actually been serving me and continues to serve me. So I don't see a real need. Like Dave is saying, if I yeah. suddenly was traveling more, you know, and I have an M1 for work. So that's right. I forgot I that you're, yeah, I could do that. But yeah. I mean, that's not my, that's not my machine. That's my work machine. Right. So. Right. Oh, okay. So you're, you, right. So you, yeah. You've experienced, you, you, you've experienced it. That's the yeah. word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, right. honestly, I've often thought about replacing this with a desktop machine because I, it does, I don't go anywhere with it anymore. And when I do travel, 
my iPad works great. I probably get a new iPad. I'll probably get a new M series iPad before mm-hmm. I get a new laptop. To be honest, that's uh, interesting. I, yeah, I use I love my iPad with it with the keyboard, and um, the only problem now is that I have I can't even remember which generation. I think it's a second gen. Yep, eleven inch iPad Pro. Um. Okay. And the only problem there is somehow it now has a little tiny hairline crack down in the lower part of the display. Oh, and part of the pixel have gone out. So it's, okay. it's starting to die. Okay. Like literally I mean, die to the point where yeah. like, I, I'm like, I should probably just replace this. So, so I, I, I mean, I know of, of people like you that, that when you travel, you are comfortable leaving the house with just an iPad. What yep. is that? Like, I, maybe I should ask a, a more specific question that I hadn't really s- sat down to prep, but my my fear, my concern in doing that is I would need to do something that is difficult, if not impossible, to do on an iPad. Like, you know, a server would go down and I would need to like SSH in and, and work with it there. And I know that there are, I mean, I have the prompt app uh, from Panic on my phone yep. and my iPad like with the keyboard on your iPad, it are things like that functional? Like, could you yep. really? Okay. Okay. Yeah. The, the only thing that I can't do on it. And again, I'm not generally traveling for work anymore. Yep. Is the only thing that I can't do is, as you know, as a web developer, I set up, I like having set up a local dev environment. So I run Apache, I run sure. uh, MariaDB and everything locally on my laptop when I'm doing development. That you can't do on an iPad, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, it, that's just me being lazy, though, because like, there's so many web-based. I could set up a You could set up a cloud-based dev yeah. server like yeah. most people do. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So that's just me. That's just a me yeah. thing. I just haven't wanted to change my my workflow. But I mean, honestly, it'd be probably better to, but to if, set something. If like you that did up on that, S three server, or, yeah, know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you did that, or a Linode or something, um, yeah, would Linode could you too. then from your iPad, if the dev server was was living on a different machine somewhere, mm-hmm. could you do most of the development or at least in a pinch oh, yeah. do enough from your oh, iPad yeah, all alone. Of it. I've got FTP client, you know, I've got yeah. transmit still FTP client still works. So like all that stuff, super simple, you know, like, like you said, SSH. I mean, honestly, I could set up my, my server environment on my Synology. I just haven't done that. Either. Oh, that's right. Like, using yeah. Docker. Yes. You know, like yes, Docker of course. Or just set up straight. Like, there's a million ways to do this to solve this problem. I but yeah, that that accepted. Bothered. You would be you would be able to be functional with your job and and everything else just on the iPad. Yeah, I I need to I need to open that door again for myself. It is so tempting to right? do that to try that. Yeah, because I, I I have my biggest thing has always been recording my other show. Yeah, but I have be, because Streamyard the way it works, it takes the file up. I, we've had several guests record from an iPad, and the microphone on that is even really good. Yeah, and now, you can obviously you could take a hub and plug it yes. into the iPad, so I can use these nice microphones. There's no reason not to do it, and it's certainly lighter than my MacBook Pro 16 inch. Yeah, I'm, and that's the thing. I've always had like a small MacBook Air, yeah. so it like the difference for me between an iPad with a keyboard. Uh, and a 13 inch or now I guess it's a 14 inch air 
it, it I mean, there's a difference. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but it's not a massive difference. It, it, you yeah. know, so. Yeah. But the keyboards now for the iPads come with trackpads. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you set up the hub and. Huh. I'm pretty Very sure, tempting. if I'm not mistaken, that Jason Snell still does oh, yeah. a lot of his entire podcast production flow on an iPad Pro. Totally. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Uh, he does. Oh, that just cost me a lot of money. Son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. We teach you how to spend a lot of money to make your yourself feel really good yeah. about a marginal gain of something. Yeah. That's right. Lighter backpack. A lighter backpack. That there you go. That's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All right. This is um this is good. I like this, Adam. Oh, I also wanted to mention I, I told you guys earlier. So Anchor, I love them. Like these yeah. nano chargers are yeah. all their chargers are incredible and I love their cables too. And so like I maintain cuz my family is constantly, "Oh, I need a I need a new cable." I just started maintaining a store here behind me, an, an anchor store. I like buy like batches of cables in like tens or twenties yeah. and and chargers. I have extra nano chargers and yeah, inevitably one of my family members is going to go, oh, I need a new charger or whatever. And it's like, yep. all right, come to the store. Do, do you and make them pay you? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, you know, there's a convenience fee as well. In yeah, addition to right. the cost, like, you know, it's right yeah. here. Same day delivery. Yeah. Part of their problem is they like those long 10 foot cables and those things. I mean, Anchor makes great ones and they're not too expensive, but they don't, they don't last. No, you know, they last cable. about a year yeah. or so. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. They're just too long. Yeah. They're too long. Right. And too much strain on them when they're pulling them around. When they're, yeah. Yanking them around. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, let's see. I want to let's do, yeah, let's do Jan here has, uh, has a question. It says over the years, I've had multiple personal and work max and multiple time machine backups for each computer on separate hard drives. Some of these hard drives are quite old and I'm worried they'll stop working at some point. Yeah. I, I, that's not a worry. It's a, it's a when, not an if, uh, can I consolidate the data from each of these time machine hard drives onto one new drive, an SSD or rotational? For example, can I just copy and paste the latest time machine backup from each time machine hard drive onto the new SSD? Will all of the files move over? What do you think, Adam? Yep. yep. I mean, this is something that came up in a similar way on the MacCast back in September. Oh. Um, I had somebody who just wanted to know, I'm getting, you know, I have a time machine drive. It's 500 gigabytes. I want to move to a larger one. I'm getting a five terabyte drive. Can I migrate all that stuff over? And when I did the research for it, what I found was an article from our friends at Clean My Mac 10. Um, yeah. Uh, I have... We'll get a link to it, but okay. link to it in the in the MacCast from the nine eighteen episode. If you want to look for that too, you can find the find the I'll, link I'll put there. links to all of it here. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, but also in the show notes for MacGeekab, obviously. Of course. slash show notes. Um, but yeah, so they had a process where you could do this, but it was an older article, and you definitely could when it was macOS extended journal. Uh, partitioning format. So there's a whole process for doing it. You have to kind of modify some of the permissions, the ownership of the drive so that you can move things around. 
Um, and you can move the file over the backup set backup DB file and then reset it back up and it should just work. I haven't personally tried it or done it, but I would presume that it does. And I think it, it used to work that way. I was unsure about the new APFS system only because I'm pretty sure APFS has a special way of like handling data and linking, at least from the research that I did. Um, but the one recommendation I thought you could do is you could probably set up the new drive as, you know, and just let it do its thing. And it might actually bring over that historical indexing. I seem to think that I did that one time with a drive. Yeah. But, um, you know, for me, like, I, I've always felt that the last thing I'll add to this is for me personally, because I have other forms of backup that maintain an archive specifically, you know, some of the things we talked about with how I'm using Chronosync and other things. I've never had this attachment. I mean, people have a strong attachment to their time machine history for some reason. Yes. And I very rarely have ever had to go back in my time machine history to like get something every once in a while. But my theory is, you know, if I deleted it three months ago, then I deleted it for a reason. Like it didn't get accidentally delete it. Right. I, I'm not expecting that file to be there. It's great. that time machine might have that file, but so I'm not attached to my time machine history. So I just would get a new drive, plug it in and just let it do its thing and start, start from that point forward. But yeah, that's just me. I, that seems to be where I go to. Yeah. 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 Uh, same. I, I would, I would start new. I would not attempt to move my time machine around, but I, I, and I'm like you, I, I am of the belief that if, it, if I deleted it three months ago and I haven't needed it in three months, like it, it, I'm, I'm good. However, there, there is an exception that I experienced to this exact rule and time machine, I believe was the thing that saved my bacon. I had not done a, like a speaking presentation for several months. It might've been like six months or something, just the way a schedule worked or whatever. And then I had one coming up and I'm like, yeah, well, I'm just going to redo you know, I'm going to do the the one on Wi-Fi. I need to update it. But, you know, I'll start with the bones of, of what I had. And I went and looked and my presentations folder, the entirety of it was just not there. And I'm like, what? And I looked and I looked in recent backups and I, I can't remember if it was Time Machine or if it was like a clone of an old drive or something that where I finally found it. I must have accidentally deleted it at some point. And because it wasn't something that I needed to access regularly, I just, I lost it. But thankfully I was able to, to bring it back and, and everything was good. So I, I mean, I do get that there is a value to this and that's what backups yeah. are for and all of that. But time machine is so darn unreliable for me that I've learned that <laughs> I can't keep a time machine backup. Like if I keep one for a year, that's long for me. You know, I, once it gets corrupted, I just wipe it out and start from scratch. It's like, yeah, whatever it's done. So if yeah. I were in, uh, Jan's scenario here, I would just like you said, Adam, start on the new drive, but don't throw away the old drive yet. Correct. Yeah. Right. Like that's your archive and, and let it sit. And someday, maybe a year from now you say, okay, well, I don't need that around anymore and you let it go but all that said i think copying a time machine backup 
um, folder, if you will, is yep. especially if it, well, yeah, this is, th- we're talking about on a, on a direct attached drive. I know John used to, he would back up, he has two disk stations. So he backs up his Mac to one of them. This is John Braun backs up his Mac to one of them and then uses like Synology's hyper backup or something to copy his backup from one disk station to the other. And then when it would get corrupted, he would just copy it back and resume backing up to the restored backup of his backup. Right. And so he was able to maintain a very long history by, by doing this, but time machine is very different when it's backing up to a network drive in terms of what it needs on the disc, Uh, what you said about needing the right file structure and all of that, when it's direct attached, I, I believe you are right. So that's just the, from the research that yeah, I did. I think APFS yeah. works differently yeah. under the hood with how it connects things up. So I don't know if you can just direct copy. There might be a way to clone it, right? Yeah, that stuff. No, I, because it would require more research than I was able to figure out. But. What Time Machine does for a network drive is it creates a disk image, and then within that Correct. disk image, it does all its magic. And all John was doing was just restoring the disk image with all its magic intact because that's how disk images are. So, yeah. Yeah, because I'm looking at, I mean, I'm looking at mine right now and I have, I don't know how many different yeah, yeah, yeah. files on here going back to 2022 and each one of them have a Macintosh HD data thing in it. And I don't know, maybe it would work. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> may, yeah. No, because like with... It uses hard links is what Time Machine relies on, which are kind of like aliases uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in a sense. But at one level deeper, uh, I'll say uh, it, it, a hard link. When you save a file on your drive, it saves it to wherever it saves it. And then it puts in the directory a link to the where that file actually lives. Like there's the, there's the directory entry that says, you know, here's. Dave's test file dot HTML or whatever. And, and then it points to where the actual data for the file lives. So there's the directory entry and then there's the actual data for the file with time machine. It creates another entry in the directory that points to the same file. And that way that's how it rolls things forward without making multiple copies of the same thing. It only makes co- you know, new copies, uh, copies of new mm-hmm. things or change things. And, and so migrating i think if you were to copy a time machine folder to a new drive it would take up infinitely more space because it would copy every version of that file forward right so yeah 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 i i i think i gave yon bad advice of just yeah copy it you'll be fine i think you i mean it's worth testing maybe fair yeah me yeah Fair. Maybe the finder's smart and is like, oh, this is a time machine volume. <laughs> Hold my beer. Let me, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't I know. I just honestly never tried it, and I couldn't Same. find any definitive answers in all the research that I did. Yeah. But, well, and the other thing that I'll add is I have three time machine backup locations. I have a little thumb drive. Then I have another little... Uh, uh, Oh, gosh, don't get old. It's bad for your memory. Uh, solid state drive, SSD, yes. yep. that, uh, that's, I, don't, I think, two terabytes, something like that. And I use that, and then I have my disk station. Yep. So I, I have it rotate through three different places. So with all the opportunity for cruft and corruption, I'm hoping that one of those will work. 
Yeah. yeah if I, and I need something. I, I just so. use a different, like I said, different strategy for yeah, what yeah. I call archive backups. Yeah. Like we've talked about, I use, I have my chronosync that goes to my Drobo and doesn't delete, you know, is set to not delete. So it keeps anything that Everything. I've ever deleted. Yeah. 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 And same thing with, then I have also backblaze, which does the same thing. It, yeah. It has its own history. And I, that's where I've recovered that scenario that you described, Dave. I've done it through backblaze. I've just went, oh, crud. Yeah. There's that presentation yeah. I did. Or like I've had to recover like old, old client websites. Like some client contacts me. But again, I also though, generally have those on my, my Drobo as well. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Just doing a sync that never, a one-way sync that never deletes, that never carries forward a delete. Yeah, I yep. like that. All right. Pete, Here's you want to... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I was just going to say, the, the last thing about that, the thing about Drobo I would be careful about is I had a power supply go on my Drobo, and not, now I'm hoved. You know, <laughs> because they've got the... Some of them have different little power supplies, and I didn't have anything laying around. Yeah, you mean close. you don't have a new inbox Drobo three just sitting on a shelf no, that you never plugged in or set I up? I see one on the store <laughs> shelf behind you there. Maybe you could send me. <laughs> There's a convenience fee for Adam's yeah, store. I Recently added. Is. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that that's even going to be dead here in a few months. We talked about that too. I'm yeah. be moving everything over to a new Synology soon here. I think. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's where I'm going. So. Yep. You want to take so, us to Mark, Pete? I do. We, we had a-, a geek challenge answered this week. Ooh, oh, man. And you know what? I can't tell you, Mark, why didn't you write me five years ago? I've been trying to figure out. <laughs> why I'm didn't Mark read, could, your, read your future mind? Yeah, there's there's an app for this, or I want to create a, I'm going to create this app, and it'll be brilliant. We'll make a billion dollars. And Yeah, no. So my problem was... I wanted to be able to send Debbie a text right now. It's three o'clock in the morning. I'm on the airplane. We're taking off on time. I'll see you in the morning, but I didn't want to wake her up at three in the morning. She gets a little cranky. So, so you know, 7 a.m., 7.30, when she gets up with our son to get him off to school, I want that text to arrive. How do I send a text later? Mark writes in, uh, and I lost it. There it is. Uh, I have not done this for some time. Oh, that's it. Uh, all right. Yeah. Long and short of it. That's it. Yeah. Okay. have not done this for some time, but pretty sure you can still send an email to a text, a cell phone number. You need to know that format. Format, for example, AT&T's is the number at txt.att.net. And I found a list, Pete, that I put yes. in the show notes. That, Thank you. That, that translates all. It, most, I don't want to say every, but many phone carriers uh, email to SMS gateways. So that's in the show notes, you know, at MacGeekUp.com. So, yes. like Right. Yep. And, uh, yep. yeah. And so you can do it. Even Mint Mobile is on there and, yeah. and, and all of those. Yeah, they're all there. And it, he gave me one, and I clicked on it, and it, it, it turns out the website has changed a little bit. It's now later.io. So s- set up an account. They have uh, uh, several pricing plans. Free, you can send up to 30 emails a month, 10 maximum contacts per account, 10 maximum recipients per email, and you can send up to a one year in the future. It goes all the way up to Enterprise, which is you know $83 a month. But for $40 a year, $33.33 a month, you can create 1,000 emails per month. 
10,000 maximum contacts per account, 500 maximum recipients per email, 100 megabyte attachment per account, 20, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, I per think, account. I think and for your purposes, Pete, even the free the, account. The free account is going to be just fine, absolutely. Totally. But with the, with the paid one, you can send in a text to somebody up to 25 years hence. That gets creepy, Pete. Yeah. That, yeah. That's creepy. I know, right? Wait, yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. my dead uncle Bob sent me an email yeah. or sent me a text. Yeah. So, but you can, it isn't just one and send it later this morning. You can send them on a recurring basis. I, every Saturday morning, I wanted to, you know, yeah. tell me, remind me to do this. Remind me. So you get a text, obviously from an email address, but later.io. Oh, yeah. yeah. So cool. Um, and it works with any email address. So, you know, have fun with your duck.com email. And I like yeah. it. I, yeah, no, I would, I, I think the free one would solve this problem. Cause you, you know, you're, it's probably going to be a handful of people that you would be sending these to and you just load them up and, and then you're off to the races later.io that this is brilliant. Yep. Somebody else's server. That's the yeah. cloud. Yep. Yep. And you know, I just didn't think about creating it as a web website web side server yeah. function. Yeah. Cool. Another fortune passed up, Dave, because I just didn't think of it in time. Uh you know, here's <laughs> my here's my thing. <laughs> I, I always say if you want an idea to be worth a hundred dollars, write it on a hundred dollar bill. Because there you go. Uh, uh, by themselves, ideas are worth nothing. It's all about implementation, right? You got to yep. execute and you and and you really need to just grind it out. So, just because someone has already implemented this idea doesn't mean that there's not a better way to do it, a better you know, implementation. Yeah. I mean, look at, you know, we weren't the first Mac podcast. Adam was, or maybe Sean King was. <laughs> but, you know, like like right. and we certainly weren't the first Mac website with Mac Observer. We weren't, you know, but it didn't matter. Like you, you know, you, 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 you do it your way and any business can, can thrive. You don't, you don't need to wait for the best idea. You need to have a decent idea and you need to be willing to put your nose to the grindstone and ignore all the naysayers and just grind it out. And of course okay. I will, I will say this because I know it from personal experience. The worst naysayer is the one that sounds just like me in my own head. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look where Zoom ended up. Yeah, right. They weren't the first. Not nope. by a long shot. <laughs> Not by a long no. shot. Yep. No. Microsoft slash Skype squandered the first to market lead by like somehow. I don't know how. <laughs> they <laughs> right. were dumb. They were dumb. Yeah. They were just dumb. Yep. I agree. They, they got too complacent like a lot of people do. So. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you think because no one else is, you know, you you just because you can't see your competition in the rearview mirror doesn't mean you think oh they're they're fine. I've always said you know the the new company has to move much faster and have far more momentum to catch up to where the market is, and then if they're a company that's used to working at that speed, they will keep moving at that speed when they catch you. And then they will move past you. And Zoom is a. There's no example better of example of this than Apple, right? Right, right. iPod, yeah. iPhone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess we could argue that they were first to market with their first product, right? Like they, the pre-built 
ready to go out of the box works for you mostly personal computer i yeah. think apple like we could it, an argument can be made pretty succinctly that that they did that first it was not the first personal computer but it was the first for the every person but then again that's kind of what apple does is they're the first for the yeah. every person yeah right yep. yep no you're right ask blackberry about how the uh... <laughs> <laughs> right Right, they had the market cornered. Yep, yep. Um, Adam, you cost me money. Yeah, yep. But thankfully, yeah, not happened? not it, not a terrible amount uh, because I bought this um, on a Black Friday sale. But months ago, before you joined the show, like uh, you know, full time, uh, you mentioned the wireless CarPlay adapter from CarLink, and it's like yep. the CarLink kit or whatever. So I bought the 5.0 Carlin kit 5.0 on Amazon Black Friday, and I was gonna like give it to myself as a Christmas present, but I couldn't wait because uh, I needed to see if it was gonna work. Holy cow! It works yeah. ridiculously well. It like it just you plug it in, you you pair up with your phone, and then it's fun. And there's even a little web interface on it. I don't know if you knew about this that you can update the firmware and tweak some settings and like uh -huh. all of those things. It's fun. And it works. And yeah, it takes a second to connect. I mean, it's yes. not super fast, but I've heard the same thing about built-in wireless card CarPlay. I don't know how it compares, but yeah, it's like magic. You Once you've got it set up and plugged in, uh, like I've mentioned, for me, it works 90% of the time and occasionally it'll quirk, quirk out, but usually yeah, that just involves unplugging it for a couple seconds and plugging it back in. Yes. Yeah. It really uh, amazing. And I was concerned with uh, battery life, right? You know, because I'm used to using CarPlay when my phone is plugged in uh, for obvious reasons and charging. So I was like, well, what's this going to be like? I had a shortly after I got it, I had a rehearsal down in Massachusetts, which is about a two hour drive each way. And I so I used I used this for that whole day and I looked at my battery strength when I got, you know, got in the car and it was at 83% when I got home. So this is after driving down, driving back and at a, you know, three hour rehearsal where my phone is like, you know, also sort of like burning its battery as it does. And, you know, I was like using it and I'm sure I checked my email when I got there and I probably checked before I left and all that stuff. 20% of my battery was used. That's it. For four hours of driving and, you know, two to three hours of just normal phone time, that that's not terrible. And what I realized as I dug into this is that Apple demands of people like manufacturers who are putting CarPlay in as a like, you know, from the manufacturer thing, wireless CarPlay. If the car has a GPS antenna in it, CarPlay must be given access to use that GPS antenna when wireless CarPlay is active so that the phone's battery isn't being burned down. And also so that you're not relying on, you know, the phone, if it's in somebody's pocket or whatever, like they want the experience to be good. So they mandate this. The CarLink kit, at least the version 5.0, is one of the few of these aftermarket, you know, sort of hacky janky CarPlay wireless things that uses the car's GPS if the car has it. Not every car oh, wow. does. Yeah, right. my car does. And so I think that's a big part of why it's not chewing up so much of the battery. And I had no idea about any of this until after I bought it, because then I started researching. I'm like, okay, 
why is this working? And it is interesting. I parked my car in a garage and uh, it, it I, I can guarantee that it's not using the phone's GPS because it takes my car play far longer than it used to to triangulate my position as I'm driving out of the neighborhood. I mean, it, you know, it takes a minute. It's not a huge deal, but it, it used to be exact. Like I would drive out of my garage and I would show where I was like on my driveway. And right. now it's like you're somewhere in this vicinity. And it's like, oh, it's not <laughs> using the phone's GPS. It's truly relying on the cars. And the car has had, first of all, the car has been off. So now it's got to sync up and it's garaged. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a great little thing. I mean, they're really quirky, but I—I uh, I mean, just the fact that they work is pure magic. It's magic. I, so now for battery, though, you don't have one of these janky in-car wireless charging mats because I have one of these, and my wife has one in her car. Oh, I don't know money. if anybody experiences they don't—they don't work. Like yeah. they have to be so precision aligned. And you're driving, so the phone's like bouncing, and then the phone, mine, the phone moves over, and it suddenly starts stops charging to the point where I won't do it. Cause there's no way I'm putting Velcro on the back of my phone. Sure. But like where I've wanted to just like Velcro, like put Velcro strips so that it would stay in the exact right. Like if it's off by a millimeter, that thing doesn't work. I wonder and same thing in my wife's car. I wonder like, if terrible. you could get like, so I'm thinking MagSafe here, right? Yeah. One of those little rings, just a yeah, ring with a, with, with a, with a, with, you know, sticky tape, the magnetic ring. Yeah. The yeah, magnetic yeah. ring on the charger part. Yeah. Correct. Cause I, I think I, you can get those. I think I that would work. That. Well, I've seen them for like, um, phone cases that don't for phones that don't have their own MagSafe. You can like sort of retrofit your phone with MagSafe or whatever. And so like, I, yeah, I think you could, it, they may not sell it. Somebody's actually going to sell it to you for exactly what this purpose. Yeah. I, I think that I would do yeah. that for sure. Yeah. 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 yeah no, my car doesn't have that. This. My car doesn't have that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. worth it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe people can have different opinions or yeah. certain cars are better than others, but because it doesn't have the mag safe alignment thing yeah. and maybe it works better with Android phones. I don't know, but sure. my iPhone and it's been two cars. One's a Honda, one's a Ford. So I don't think it's, I don't, I think it's just, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Whatever cheapo chi charging mat they put in there, but I think mostly what the problem is you're driving. So of course it's going to move around, vibrating, yeah. and your phone's going to move around, right? Absolutely. And so it just eventually it starts out great, and then eventually just moves off the pad, and you can see it on the heads up display. It's like <laughs> stop charging, and so you move it over, charging. Oh, this sounds safe. Yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah. great. Terrible. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I actually have a MagSafe charging you know, vent mounted you know yeah. so it plugs into that so that would charge my phone and then i can uh i but i can either plug it into my phone or plug it into the the magsafe charger if I, i'd like to be able to plug it into the magsafe charger and then do wireless yeah carplay yep that's the way to go no this thing yeah. is great and i i did use velcro once i proved that the carlink kit adapter worked you know like you said 90 yeah. i would even say like 95 percent of the time like it's fairly reliable occasionally i like i think twice since i've had it in the last month i've had to do the little you know unplug well, you have the 5.0 I, I think i have a 3.0 ah right okay. okay yeah maybe it's better one piece of advice i read and i immediately ignored this of course was they said if you get it and once you get it to the point where it's working, never update the firmware. Like, unless you have a reason to, don't update the firmware for the sake of updating the firmware because you're a nerd. And so obviously the first thing I did was I updated the firmware because, duh. But that 
does sound like good advice. Like, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, I haven't touched mine. I, I think yeah. I did update it when I first got it because it was just out of date. Sure. The, whatever the current version was, and I wanted to start at the current point, but I have not updated the firmware since. Yeah, it's probably smart. Yeah, if it ain't broke, fix it till it is. So. All right. Thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. It's been, uh, we, yeah. we, 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 I, we, I thought we, we had so many other things we were going to do. And yet, did. here we are we already did. running it an hour and 20 I, minutes. So I got to circle back one quick thing. Okay. Because Rodell and Discord said, he, you know, he'd been using later.io. He yeah. uses ReminderGuru.com also. Oh, we will put that and link in the similar. show notes yeah. too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Reminder Guru. I like it. Yeah. Reminder Guru. Somehow. Somehow. We will yeah. get there. Yeah. ReminderGuru.com. Okay. Great. Thanks for hanging out with us, folks. It's been, as always, it's been fun. It's been real. It's been real it's fun. Been, it has been. What a way Merry to spend Christmas. a Christmas morning. Of course, we record this before Christmas, as right. you as you might guess. But it will be released on Christmas morning. And you can listen at your leisure whenever you like. We recorded it just for you. Again, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Go check out So There I Was, Pete's podcast about aviation. You can check out Business Brain and Gig Gab, uh, which are the shows that I do. You might hear me do my first ever solo podcast episode coming up uh, maybe even this week on Gig Gab. So stay tuned. I know. Times, they change. Adam, do you have any uh, lasting advice for everyone to hopefully last them the week? Especially yep, just like Santa dropping off your gifts. Don't get caught.